Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Uh, Tonight's Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Give you a moment to find it. It's also going to be up on the screen. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heart, in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, My name's Nathan, if you don't know me. Sorry, that wasn't fair. I just introduced myself after I said good afternoon. Um, I realise now that doesn't make sense. But either way, uh, it's good to see you. I'm a student minister here, and I feel like I've got to speak to maybe half of the room, so we'd love to get to know you afterwards, we won't be rushing off, Um, but right now, why don't we pray together before we look at this part of the Bible. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for bringing each and every one of us here um, this evening to gather together um, and to meet around your word. And Father, we pray now as we look at your word together that you would teach us from it and comfort us from it, and challenge us as well, that we would leave here differently from when we came in. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you know something is coming and it changes absolutely everything. Where something's on the horizon, locked in, and so your whole life changes because of that new future. Priorities shift And you see every part of your life in a brand new perspective. Maybe you realized that there was a baby on the way and you got that news. And all of a sudden, everything started to line up towards that future. Maybe for you, there was an exam on the horizon or you got a huge assessment and you found out the due date. And all of a sudden, all the social things in the calendar got pushed to the side All the things that you wanted to do, 
went on the back burner and everything was towards passing the exam, passing the assignment. Perhaps there was a diagnosis or an illness and then all of life, all of a sudden, was shaped around the treatment and the recovery of that illness. In all of life, what we see coming shapes who we are and what we do in the here and now. And if it doesn't, then you know that something's gone wrong. Like imagine getting the diagnosis and doing nothing about it. Or imagine getting news of the baby and doing nothing to prepare for what's ahead. Or imagine with me for a second that you got the assignment and you did nothing about it until the night before. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> Who would ever do that? We know the future changes everything, and if you did nothing, you'd be crazy. And yet, at the same time, we live in the age of the immediate. It's very easy to just live life in the here and the now, because everywhere we go and everywhere we look, we're taught that you should be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want it. You should be able to get whatever you want, whenever you want it, as soon as possible. Have you noticed that waiting in a queue, in a line, feels unbearable these days? Maybe it's just me, but it feels like it used to be easier. But now I can't stand it anymore. 24-7 delivery of really just about anything is available for us, whether it's food or a lounge. And information is on tap at the tip of your fingers whenever you want it. It's so easy to live in the here and now. It's so easy to forget about the future. And that might be fine when it comes to your shopping habits or what you eat for dinner. But for your spiritual life, it's deadly. And that's what we've been seeing as we've been looking through the book of 2 Corinthians this term. Because the Corinthian church had bought into the message of their culture. The city of Corinth was obsessed with the here and the now, the, the external and the beautiful. And once upon a time, the Corinthian Christians had, had accepted the Apostle Paul's message about Jesus. That Jesus is the, is the resurrected Lord and King of the universe. That he suffered and died on the cross, but rose to life in line with God's promises to his people. And they were waiting for Jesus to return and judge the world and usher in God's new creation. But then their eyes had been turned by a new message from new teachers who had come in. People who were peddling a very Corinthian-flavoured gospel that focused on the here and now that was powerful and acceptable and attractive, and it didn't include things like suffering and waiting for Jesus. And so they'd taken steps away from Paul's message, which came from the very lips of Jesus himself, and they were embracing a new message that was so much more attractive, but that Paul was convinced would lead them away from Jesus and back into their sins. And so we've been listening in, in the early chapters of 2 Corinthians. Paul's been defending his ministry and his message, and he's hoping to win them back to following the legit Jesus through his defense of his legit ministry and his way of life. 
You might remember last week, he was saying that he doesn't lose heart. He doesn't give up, even when loads of people reject his message. And his reason was because the gospel is powerful and because he's imitating Jesus. And just like Jesus brought life, eternal life, through his own death, Paul is pouring out his own life to bring others eternal life. He's imitating Jesus. And in this passage that we have before us this afternoon, Paul's telling them again why he doesn't give up. And he's starting to turn the volume up on his argument as he gets to the pointy end of it. And we're going to see that the reason to not give up on Jesus is all about perspective. Paul doesn't give up on the legit Jesus because he has a legit perspective on his life. And we need to hear this because just like them, it's very easy for us to lose focus. And so why does Paul's perspective help him to to not give up? There are three reasons. His first reason is because at the center of the gospel is a better future. At the center of the gospel is a better future. Look with me, chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Therefore we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says that the heart of the gospel is a better future. And it's better because it's eternal. He says even though his life and his ministry has him wasting away, at the same time he's being renewed every day. And what he means is verse 18. He doesn't focus on the seen, on the here and the now, because that is temporary. Instead, he fixes his eyes on the unseen because it's eternal. He lives for the future. And that living for the future, it actually reshapes his view of his circumstances in the here and the now. If you have the passage open in front of you in a, in a physical Bible or on a screen of some description, cast your, mind back, uh, cast your eyes back up to chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Because in those verses... Paul talks a bit about what his life was actually like. He uses words like hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. As we go through 2 Corinthians, we'll see a couple more lists like this where he goes into more and more detail about what his life, talking about Jesus, looked like. And it's horrendous, the things that he went through. And yet... Have a look at how the future reshapes how he thinks about his own circumstances. Verse 17 again. He says, Our momentary light affliction. He is is pouring himself out to near death over and over again. And he talks about it like it's a paper cut. The future changes how he views his circumstances. At the center of the gospel is a better future because it's eternal. 
and because it's also immortal. Look with me from chapter 5, verse 1. He says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we don't want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. The better future is eternal and immortal. Paul wants to highlight here that death is not the end. That the life to come is physical and tangible and better. It's not airy-fairy, spiritual, bodiless, souls floating around or anything like that. Paul's saying it's more real than life in this age. Look at all the contrasting pictures that he uses. Verse 1, he says, Life here is a tent, but life after death is a building. It's permanent. Verse 2 and 3, Life here is like being naked, but after death it's like being fully clothed. Verse 4, he says, Here we're mortal. There, what's mortal is swallowed up by life. Now, these are huge concepts. And we don't have time to camp out in them and think about all of them one by one. But I reckon it's good fuel for a good growth group discussion midweek. So I want to encourage you to get into it. The point is that at the center of Christianity is a better future. One that's eternal and immortal. And for Paul, that means that he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up following Jesus and he doesn't give up talking about Jesus. His afflictions are light compared to what is coming. And it totally reshapes his priorities. Now, does it reshape your priorities? Do you fix your eyes on what's unseen? Do you think about the life to come? Because Paul is so confident about what's coming. The first reason to not give up on Jesus is there is a better future. And the second reason is that the better future is a certain future. The better future is a certain future. Look with me from verse 5. He says, Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we're always confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we're confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. At the center of the gospel is a better future, and that better future is a certain future. Paul's confident about the life to come. He says in verse 5 that it's God who made us for this purpose. That is, all of us were made by God to be in relationship with God. We were all made for eternal life. Immortality with him forever. That, that's what we were made for. But each of us has rejected God's rule in our lives and tried to rule our own lives our own way. And so all of us are under the, the judgment, the punishment of death. But in Jesus' death, he took the punishment, he took the judgment, the death, 
that we deserve, that was rightly ours. And in his resurrection, his raising from the dead, is the guarantee that death has been dealt with, sin has been dealt with, the punishment has been paid. And so if we belong to Jesus, we have eternal life beyond death. What happened to Jesus in his resurrection will happen to us in the end because we're connected to him by faith. Paul says back in chapter 4, verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. And verse 5 says that God has given us the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the guarantee of your future resurrection life. You have the Spirit now, and so you have that life now. One day, you will see the Lord face to face. But you can be confident of that truth right here and right now. That's what it means when he says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment. The Holy Spirit, he's a deposit. You pay a deposit, you pay a down payment on a car or a house as a guarantee that you can pay the rest, which means that you can drive the car out of the dealership or you can start work, the builders can start on the house because you've shown that you can come through with the rest of it. You've shown that you're trustworthy. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is a down payment from God, that the rest is definitely coming. So you can be confident of your future and you can serve and live boldly for Jesus, focused on the world to come, knowing your future is secure. This is what Paul means when he talks about living by faith, not by sight. Faith isn't wishful thinking. It's not a stab in the dark. It's not false confidence. Faith is trusting the promises of a trustworthy God. And in the gospel, God has promised that for all who turn to him and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and cling to him as Savior, God has forgiven you and you have eternal life. And so if you belong to Jesus, that confidence is yours. There's no ifs, buts, or maybes about it. You have eternal life. You don't have to worry about where you're going. You will see your Lord face to face. And I want to say, if you've been coming along here for a while, or maybe you're checking out Jesus, you're not sure what you think about Jesus and Christianity and all of that, then I want to tell you that this confidence can be yours as well. If you take hold of God's promise that in Jesus, you can have eternal life. If you hand control of your life over to him, then the promise of God is a certain better future, one with no judgment, no punishment. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, where you've come from, what you've done, that promise, that assurance can be yours, eternal life. The question is, why not take it? Paul says, you've got to side with Jesus. Don't give up. First reason, the center of the gospel is a better future. Second reason, the better future is a certain future. 
And lastly, the center of that future is Jesus himself. Look with me from verse 9. He says, Therefore, whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. At the center of this future is Jesus himself. Paul lives his whole life for the sake of Jesus. All he wants is to please Jesus. Wherever he is, whatever he does, it's all about Christ. But at first, when you read verse 9 and 10, it seems a little bit confusing. Because he says, we're confident about seeing Jesus after we die. For, therefore, we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal to please him. What is the connection between, between those things? We're confident about seeing Jesus, so we make it our goal to please him. I reckon it's helpful to step back and, and see the forest from the trees a little bit. Remember, Paul is defending his ministry. He doesn't give up because of a certain better future, a future secured by Jesus. And so because of that, he doesn't live for the external approval of others. He doesn't live to the praise of the Corinthians. He doesn't live for their approval. He lives for the approval of Jesus. He lives for the glory of Christ. He sees every circumstance as an opportunity to put a smile on the face of his Lord. He lives not for his own sake and not even for their sake but for the sake of Jesus. And so while we live for the next life, the next life is all about being in the presence of Jesus. He's what it's all about. The Christian life isn't just about going to heaven in some abstract sense. It's all about knowing the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. That's what it's about. It's about living for him in this life and the life to come. Paul says, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Is that your aim? To live for Jesus? You might be a long-time church attender. I've been here for three weeks or something. I don't know. I have no idea how long you've been coming here for, let alone how long you've been attending churches for. But you might be a long-time church attender. Are you living for Jesus? They're not the same thing. Not automatically. Because Paul says that all of us will need to give an account to the Lord. Look at me at verse 10. All of us have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions seen for what they really are. Now, for those who belong to Jesus, this judgment doesn't decide your eternal destination. Verse 5 tells us we already have the Spirit of God in us. Remember the down payment? We can be sure about where we're going. We can have certainty about our standing before God. We have forgiveness and resurrection life, guaranteed. Paul is confident and we can be confident too. 
It doesn't mean, verse 10 doesn't mean that we need to earn our way into the arms of God. We couldn't even if we tried and Jesus has already made a way for us. But what verse 10 does mean is that everything we've done and everything we are will be laid bare in the end. And we will stand before Jesus and give an account of how we've spent our lives. Notice at the end of verse 10 how he says that we'll be repaid for what we've done in the body. There's that word again that popped up in the verses before it. What he's getting at is that the confidence of the life to come doesn't mean that this life is pointless, this life in the body. What it means is that what we do in this life, in this body, it really, really matters. Because we'll give an account to Jesus for everything. And wouldn't it be a shame to get there and see that everything you've built, everything that you've invested in, everything that you've worked towards, worried about, fretted about, lost sleep over, that it really didn't matter. That the things that you prioritized in the end were nothing at all. The money in your bank account, your property portfolio, your travel experiences, your romantic experiences, all these things that are good things, but they ultimately don't last. They're good and they're fine and they're given by God, but they're not ultimate. And if you build your life around them, you'll be very disappointed in the end. The thing that does last is putting a smile on the face of your Lord, of using the things that we have in order to serve him and glorify him and treasure him. Are you living for him? Or are your eyes fixed for living for this world? Are you fixing your eyes just on what you can see? Or are you looking to the things that last? If someone looked at the way that you spend your money, if they could see inside your bank account, what would they figure out that you really valued? If someone opened up your diary or they looked at your calendar, what would they figure out? What would they think that you prioritized in life? If someone saw your internet search history or your online shopping cart or your message inbox, what would they figure out were the things that mattered to you? And guess what, friends? It's not if, it's when. And it's not somebody. It's the Lord Jesus himself. What would it look like for us to keep living for him in the assurance, in the confidence that we have eternal life, we have the spirit, we have resurrection life, we're confident about that, what would it look like then to keep living for him, to keep honouring him? Turning up on a Sunday is a great way to do that. Maybe it's really hard for you to get here on a Sunday because of external factors in your life, 
or maybe even internal things in your life. But I just want to encourage you that it is a great thing to keep doing for you and the others around you. We meet together, we encourage one another, we hear God's word, we sing praises to him. What we're doing is we're pointing each other to the things that really matter, things that are ultimate. In some sense, we're participating in that future reality now as we do all these things together in the power of the Spirit. It's a great thing to keep doing. Meeting in growth group is another way to keep encouraging each other to have our lives shaped by this better future that's coming. But how about this? Giving your friends permission to ask you hard questions about your priorities. Do you have someone in your life who can ask you the difficult questions about where your priorities are and what you're building your life around? If you don't have that person, that might be a good project for you for the next little while to find them. And you know, maybe even the thought of that is so terrifying for you that some of your stuff would come out into the open. But the truth is, in the end, it's all going to come out anyway when we're face to face with the Lord Jesus. So you may as well start now with someone that you trust. And you just might find that it's one of the most helpful things that you do to keep fixing your eyes on him. Because Paul says we don't give up. The center of the message about Jesus is a certain better future. And the center of that future is Jesus himself. And so we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's unseen. Because what's seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. And so let's keep making it our aim to be pleasing to him. You pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and particularly for Jesus' life and death and resurrection, for the sending of your spirit, for the assurance of the better future to come. And Father, we pray that you would be gracious and kind to us and help us to keep building our lives around that future. Help us to keep fixing our eyes, not on what's seen, but what's unseen. And Father, we pray that you would help us to keep making it our aim to be pleasing to our Lord. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.